Microsoft has issued a study that ties socioeconomic factors in a country and region to how it has an impact on IT security performance. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and to discuss the study, I'm pleased to be joined by Paul Nicholas. He's Microsoft's Senior Director for Global Security Strategy and Diplomacy. Welcome, Paul. Thanks very much, Eric. I'm, I'm very happy to be here with you today. Before we get to the study, please take a few moments to explain why Microsoft needs a Senior Director for Global Security Strategy and Diplomacy, and what does the job entail? What we found uh, over the years is that uh, governments have lots of questions about cybersecurity, and we work with, my team works specifically with engineers and attorneys and others uh, to engage with governments to address a full range of security concerns related to cybersecurity, critical infrastructure, information sharing challenges, and we have found that it's been a, a really effective way to kind of have those very sort of in-depth conversations about how do we go solve problem X. What did you study and what are the top findings of the study? So Eric, we set out to, to try to understand several key things. The first one was what, what role did non-technical factors have in cybersecurity? Two, what was the impact of cybersecurity policies in terms of driving outcomes meaning better cybersecurity. And three, was it possible by combining these two things to try to create a model that would give us some uh, beginning of a predictive model for cybersecurity at a national level? One of the findings shows that countries with the lowest cyber risks had on average more personal computers in use per capita, higher health expenditures per capita, regime stability, and greater broadband penetration. Why is that the case, and what, what, what lessons do you take from that? So it's really interesting to us. When we looked at that, you would think that because of the increased uh, broadband and greater number of machines, those countries might be l less secure just because they had more to secure. We actually found that was kind of the opposite. We think that that's generally driven because those countries probably using more automatic update, probably more uh, anti-malware related issues. But the real interest for us was looking specifically at the, at the policy indicators. We built a model that looked at 80 different uh, indicators across 105 countries, and out of that constructed this model of 34 that were mathematically relevant. And when we got in and really pulled that apart, we found, for example, that countries who fell into this first category we called maximizers had three really interesting things in common. One, for the most part, over 50% of them tended to have ratified the Budapest Convention or the Council of Europe Cybercrime Convention. Secondly, almost 50% of them were part of the London Action Plan. This is a voluntary agreement to help reduce spam, where private sector and governments try to bring down spam rates in, in their country. And the third part was they tended to have a, a lower piracy rate than the other two categories, which, is, which came in around 42%. With, still high, but better than some of the other categories we'll talk about. What was interesting to us on the, the two policy fronts is that those policies were essentially generative in terms of when you become part of the cybercrime convention, you actually have to increase criminal penalties, build law enforcement capabilities, build things that actually go and reduce cyber risk by, by helping to reduce cyber crime. And we think that there's something there to be further explored in terms of how effective those types of policies are. When you say there's something there to be explored, can you be a little more specific, please? Sure. Some policies create more of a compliance checklist. Did you do this? Did you do that? These policies, we think, actually generated capabilities 
that were a little more agile and innovative in terms of, okay, we're going to, number one, make reducing cybercrime an important area of focus, and two, we're going to create capabilities that will grow over time to be able to go out and and actually target resources to reducing cybercrime. And so we think there's actually something in that space in terms of how do you build policies that actually result in capabilities that drive the outcome you're trying to get to. So these are for individual nations developing policies? That's correct. What really drove us to look at this, Eric, is that you have about 70% of the world's population that's living in countries that are still making major investments in ICT, or essentially they're still in the process of coming online, according to the World Economic Forum. And that's driving a, 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 a really dramatic shift in terms of what what the future of cyberspace looks like. Probably heard uh, by now that we're trending toward about 4 billion people online by the year 2020. Included in our report, we actually went through and did a more detailed mapping of well, what does that world look like? And you see a world where the U.S. has over uh, 270 million people online and, and China has about 760 million people online and India comes in around 300 million. You see these really interesting sort of uh, changes in where where users are and you also see real dramatic shifts in terms of where internet access is. You see a lot of saturation in Northern Europe and continued growth in Asia Pacific and in Africa and, and, and Latin America. These things factor into, well, all of these countries are going to have to build policies. And so that was really kind of our driver. How do we start a debate and a dialogue around measuring cybersecurity and trying to link it to performance over the long term? So when you talk about they have to build policies, are you saying that each of these countries that are maturing are going to have to develop cybersecurity policies that perhaps are similar to the ones that are uh, the countries that are members of the, these treaties? Essentially, yes. It seems like when, when I talk to customers around the world, everyone is in the process of essentially building a national cybersecurity strategy or reforming their current cybersecurity strategy or trying to understand if they have an appropriate legal construct for cybersecurity. I was at the Munich Security Conference, for example, and it was really interesting to hear the European Union and representatives from other parts of the world talk about their challenges in in building cybersecurity policies and, and trying to create the right framework that would give them a risk management capability over the long term. Most cybersecurity policies in the U.S. would be private industry based. In fact, it's a big debate going on in Congress now about how much of a role the U.S. government should take in that. Where does that kind of thinking play in this around the world? Excellent question. One of the big challenges we had when we built the model, there were some things we couldn't actually measure. So, for example, when we rolled the report out, we had several questions about how did you measure public-private partnership or how did you measure risk management capabilities in countries? And our answer was in this version of the model, we couldn't actually do that. That's part of the reason we really want to have a a broader debate about the model and a dialogue. It's easy to go in and look at tried and true indicators like R&D expenditures or certain economic development indicators, but we don't really have a normalized indicators for two of what I think are the most critical variables in this space, that being public-private partnership and, and risk management capabilities. So we're really trying to, to try to figure that part out.
Where do you go in trying to figure this out? What we're actually starting uh, to do is really having an engagement with uh, with academics and policymakers around the world to try to figure out how could we get at this? What is there a way that we can sort of factor this into the model uh, for for future work in this space? A lot of our listeners are IT security practitioners defending end-user organizations. Does the study present anything to them? I think so. When you think about cybersecurity from an enterprise level, there's a couple of things that there are parallels for. Your enterprise security is bigger than the technical measures of how good are my firewall configurations and how good is my patch management capability. It gets to a broader sense of the awareness and preparedness levels of my people and what's the broader policy construct of of my enterprise. And so while we didn't target the report at that, I think people who are in those roles could use this to help to inform their thinking in that space. And why is that important? The important thing is cybersecurity is not just a technical matter anymore. It really moved into the space of policy and people, and we have to figure out how the technical policy and people factors all work together. And somehow we have to find a way of measuring that effectively to understand long-term performance. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Eric. Really great to chat with you again. I've been speaking with Paul Nicholas, Microsoft Senior Director for Global Security Strategy and Diplomacy for Information Security Media Group. I'm Eric Chabro. Thanks for listening.